0: Now, we talked about last week, and, and I was going to quiz you, but I talked about so many different things, I don't know if you'd be able to pick up on it. But last week, uh, one of the, if you look at it medically, what I talked about last week was spiritual dehydration, right? Remember that? Spiritual dehydration. How can you tell if you're being spiritually dehydrated? And um, this was not my intention, but this is certainly the reality, is that God wants me to carry that through. Uh, those who have ever had severe dehydration can relate to this diagnosis probably pretty well. We're going to be talking about spiritual constipation today. Spiritual constipation. How do you know if you are spiritually constipated? We can tell. But the question is, how do you know? Um, before we get into it, I think I need to do a little transition from last week into this week. And so last week, the, the topic really for last week and this week is on confession. And, and I feel like I, like the Lord wants me to, to, to give you a little confession of my own. And, and I want to, to lay this out for you in such a way that um, we want God to speak through this. This is not drawing attention to myself. But I want you to, to focus on what God is doing in this and through this, okay? Because um, this is important to me and, and something I fight with and something I believe that you may fight with as well. The confession part is this, is that I am a person who pretty much I always walk in fear. I pretty much always struggle with fear. And let me tell you how how that has come about. When I was a kid, I was raised in such an environment that was not conducive for healthy development. I'm not going to say a lot of negativity about that, but just understand that it was a rough life growing up. I, I constantly heard certain phrases that made it very difficult for me to develop in a positive way. One of those phrases is, you are stupid one of those phrases is you will never amount to anything. And and so there's little comments that go along with those, but those are the two dominant themes, but in many, many uh, different facets. And so the thing is, is that I grew up getting very good grades. I got straight A's through my sophomore year. In my sophomore year, I got one bad grade, and that was in biology because who cares about biology, Right. <laughs> sorry, sorry, Bob, <laughs> but that was, that was like the worst for me, but you see, my, my sophomore year is when I got my driver's license, I also, uh, dropped out of Boy Scouts at that time, I was a star at the time, going on to Eagle, but no, driving and girls were more important, so I started driving, started dating, started working, quit going to church as much, quit going to youth group as much, uh, Quit doing a lot of the things. I, I, I scaled back basketball and, and track and football and baseball. And I just focused on those things that gave me personal joy. And, and so I really wasn't stupid. To get straight A's all the way through that period is not stupidity. I had intelligence. But, but what my dad would say is I failed in common sense. And, and I, I can relate to, to, to those of you who have struggled with that same thing. But you see, I would always hear, every time I made a mistake and every time I did something different, I would hear that phrase, I am stupid. I am stupid. And, and so that became a very prominent part of my life, is to, to offset that in my behavior and in, in my studies and whatever else. And and so over the years, I've been able to piece together some things. And, And first, let me tell you this, that as a pastor, I have always struggled. I've always been afraid of this type of mindset, being in a meeting or something where I feel as if I'm stupid or I'm treated as if I'm stupid. This is a major trigger for me. If I prayerfully come up with an idea or make a decision and I think this is the course of action and I believe that God is involved in it and then somebody just stands up and says, no, you're wrong. I feel stupid in that moment. I feel completely stupid. And, and I have those voices that will pop right in and say, see, that's why you need to learn to keep your mouth shut because you don't know anything. And that has always been a battle, but there's more to that. You know, the reason why I went to get a doctorate, uh, when we go to class the first day, there were like nine of us students, and they asked the question, everybody go around, why do you want to, be, why do you want to have a doctorate? And when it got to me, I couldn't think of anything. And, and I, I thought to myself, so that I can gain some respect in this world. That's a pretty selfish reason to get a doctorate. But that was the reality. You see, I've always had confidence in Christ. I've always believed in in God. I've always believed in Jesus. And I knew that he was with me. As it says in 1 John 1, I knew what I've touched. I knew what I've heard. I knew what I've felt, what I've experienced, what I've seen with my eyes. And I know it to be true that I know there is a God who loves me and has a purpose for me, who's called me called me by name to be a pastor and to serve him in this capacity. And I know that he has equipped me for this. He gives me everything I need to accomplish the job. But why do I still have these thoughts of stupidity in my head? Why do I still feel like, like it's just so frustrating? And, and, and like there's times, you know, you, you think about, maybe I just ought to quit and do something better. But the stupidity goes in every job field, every job field, every relationship. That was a common phrase of my ex is, you're stupid, or that was stupid. Can't you do anything right? That kind of thing. Some of you have been there before. The thing is, is the devil is a liar. In John eight forty four, it says, you belong to your father, the devil, And you want to carry out your father's desire. He's talking to Pharisees, but this is the nature of the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's his job. And so we have to understand that there is going to be a big component of our lives and our walk with the Lord where we're going to hear these voices that are just blatant lies. You're not good enough to go to church. You're not good enough to be a Christian. If they knew the secrets that you hold in your heart, they would not like you. They would not want you to be part of their fellowship. So don't tell them the secrets that you and I know that are hidden in the bottom of your closet. Don't tell people those things. Don't give your money to the church because you know how they're going to use it. You know They're going to do things that are contrary to your will. Don't share anything personal to other people because they're going to gossip about you. The devil is a liar. He constantly feeds you with this garbage. And the thing is, he's very good at what he does. We listen, we listen, we listen. A couple of stories uh, that kind of explain my position on this. Moses. I've always said that Moses, of all the Bible characters, reminds me the most of myself And the things that I've gone through in this lifetime. In Exodus chapter 4, well in chapter 3 and 4, he's having the burning bush experience and God is talking to him and God is showing him the way that he wants him to go. The decisions he wants him to make to go and to let the people of Israel captive in Egypt to get them freed. But, but he makes all these excuses as to why he can't do, the, the, do this job. And, and I did the same thing, and you all probably do as well. God calls you to do something, and you're like, but Lord, but Lord, you don't understand. You don't, you don't know me, Lord. You don't know what I'm up against. I have other plans, you know. But in chapter 4, verse 1, Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me, and they say the Lord did not appear to you? This is one of my greatest fears. This is one of those things that haunts me. What if I go to the church and say, okay, this is what I believe the Lord is impressing upon me, and you shake your head and you're like, no, I don't think that's from the Lord. I think it's from your own heart. Where or, or I say, I think the Lord wants us to, to do a youth mission trip, and, and no, no, that's not what the Lord wants us to do. That's a waste of money. And these are not just made-up examples. I've heard these over the years, okay? Maybe, maybe what we need to do is we need to, to, to confess our sins to one another. Nope, that's not what we need to do. You're wrong on that one. Maybe we need to, to, to support missionaries this way instead of this way. Nope, 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 that's not what we need to do. And, but, but, but this is what the Lord has taught me. This is what he's shown me. That he's, he's guided me in this. And, and I believe that this is what it takes. And people say, nope, we disagree with you. In my very first church, you know, it was a Methodist church. We have a different system. The bishop calls you and says, hey, by the way, I'm moving you next month. You're going to go and you're going to move to this church. And so that happened to me. And, and so we had a church conference because the whole church was mad about it. See, back then people liked me. I'm just, just messing with you. Uh, but anyway, yeah, I had to, you know, throw things off. Um, but anyway, so I stood up and I said, folks, I prayed about this, and I believe the Lord wants me to go ahead and agree to this and do this. I could be resistant and defiant. I could say, no, I'm not going to do what the bishop says, but I'm going to go along with it because I'm going to trust that the Lord has led them in this discussion. And then a lady in the church who was an attorney, and um, I'm not going to elaborate on her lifestyle, but she was a little bit different than pastoral status. Um, She stood up and she says, well, in my prayer life, God says you're supposed to stay. All right, now we got a problem. Who's right? And, of course, in that particular setting, I felt like I was the stupid one. I must have misunderstood. I, I must be completely wrong. But that kind of stuff happens all the time. But the, but the verse he said is, what if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? And this is what the Lord said in rebuttal. He says, what is that in your hand? A staff? Very good. Um, throw it on the ground. And Moses threw it on the ground and it became a snake and he ran from it. Then the Lord said, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. He reached out, took it by the hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff. And he said, this, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And so basically, in my mindset, my understanding, God threw him a bone that day. If you're really concerned about this, I will throw you a bone. Anytime you need one, I will throw you a bone. I will do something in you, through you, and for you that nobody else could do. And when that happens, everybody will know that God did it. And so that has been my credo, right? That's what I want in this world. And I am going to give God all the credit anytime anything positive happens. And do you know that in the last two years or so, we have had 24 baptisms here in this church family, in this little country church? That's not me. That's God saying, I'm throwing you a bone. Not just me, but all of you. He's trying to impress upon you that he is God, and he is alive, and he is well, and he is active, and he is strong. He can do anything if we would just trust in him. I know this to be true because he's done it to me year after year after year, church after church after church. This is how God works. And in Exodus 33, it goes on a little bit further. I know this is all my own personal confession and testimony to you, but I I think this is going somewhere. In Exodus 33, verses 22 through 33, see, this is a constant problem that Moses is going to have in his ministry because he is leading a bunch of rebellious people who question everything he says and every decision he makes, every direction that he takes. They're going to question him. They're going to whine and complain about being in the desert. We should have just stayed in Egypt, you know. At least we're there we had three good meals. And so he has a little conversation with God after receiving the Ten Commandments. The Lord replied to him in verse 14. I could go back to 12. But I'm going to skip that for now. No, let's go back to 12. He corrected me. Moses said to the Lord, you have been telling me, lead these people. But you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor with me. If you are pleased with me, teach me your way so that I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. And the Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me from from the other people of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you've asked because because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. And Moses said, then show me your glory. And, of course, God hid him off to the side in the cleft of the rock and he passed in front of him and Moses got just a glimpse of God's glory and it sunburned his face. It, It affected him outwardly and inwardly and so this has been this has been the thing lord if i'm not if you're not going with me to countryside christian church then please don't send me there that was my prayer that has always been my prayer i always i don't always do this but i need to do it more consistently lord if i'm going to go to that meeting tonight please go with me don't make me go there without your help please just don't do it been there before i don't want to do it again if I'm going to go to that Bible study, Lord, at that prayer meeting, you must go with me because I can't do this without you. And the Lord said, I will go with you. 2 Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 4 is where we, we learn that God actually puts his presence in us when we come to faith, when Christ comes to live in our hearts. Now he is constantly with us, constantly with us. We don't ever have to question it. He is with us. So you understand this ongoing fear that I've always had. What if I go to church? What if I stand up to preach a message and God isn't with me? And God always says, shut up. Shut it. The devil says, see, you're stupid. He isn't with you. You're stupid for even thinking he's with you. Have you seen him? Can you feel him? You know, the devil's always trying to convince me he's not here, but God just keeps gently reminding me. Son, you know I haven't left you. Page two. So last week we talked about dehydration. Dehydration comes when you're not being adequately lubricated with the Holy Spirit. Now we know that he put that well inside of us that springs up when we need it. But because of our sinfulness, it's possible to shut off that that, that water flow. And if you shut off the moisture of the Holy Spirit working in your life and that in the incoming uh, bubbling of water in your soul, if you cut that off with sinfulness, your dehydration will eventually lead you to constipation, spiritual constipation. I want to make sure that's clear. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about the symptoms. How can you know if you're spiritually dehydrated? We talked about that. And so I want to ask the question, how do you know if you're spiritually constipated? Well, one of the things, you know, having been a patient of this particular uh, criminal behavior, I know what it feels like. Maybe not to the extent that some of you have. But I know that with it comes incredible pain. After having my appendix removed, I have never, of all the surgeries I've had, I've never experienced pain like that type of pain. It would just like come in waves. It would just, every once in a while, it would just come over you, and it would be the most incredible, intense pain I've ever felt, you know, up to that time in my life. I would say now the gout's worse. But but that pain is so intense and so incredible, you never know when it's going to come. So as a result, I was constantly irritable. Irritable. Spiritually irritable. Physically irritable. Anything set me off. Everything rubbed me wrong. I just couldn't relax. I couldn't have peace because I knew another wave was about to come over me. Because of that pain, I had a lack of empathy for other people. You know, if you're struggling, that's your problem. Deal with it. I have my own problems. Just go to the Lord. Pray about it. Read your Bible. He'll fix it. But don't involve me in it because I got my own problems. And so that irritability and that lack of empathy, and then also because of the pain, you become very controlling. Okay, now this is very important. When I had these these pains, I was very controlling. I had to make sure every pillow was in the right place. I had to make sure I had my water in the right place, and I was in the right position on the bed to where the pain didn't stay very long. I had to make sure the room was clear at certain times because I didn't want to lose my religion on anybody. I wanted to control everyone around me and everything about my situation. And I tell you what, I was, I was ready to just take a knife to it myself and fix the problem if I had to. And when, when the little nurse came, and she, and she was a little thing, and she said, I've got something that may help you with that. And I said, let's do it right now. And so she fixed the problem. And I will forever praise her. And you know as a side note, what's really interesting Several years later, when I met Paige, found out that she was working as a nurse on the same floor in that same hospital in Bloomington, and she may have been my nurse at that time. We don't know for a fact, but there's a very good very good possibility she was my nurse. The reason that's crazy, because I lived in Peoria. That's like a, almost an hour and a half drive between the two. Crazy story. So... Spiritual constipation is the same really as spiritual dehydration. The way you fix it is by removing the blockage. The blockage is the result of sinfulness. It's the result of of callousness. It's the result of carelessness. It's the result of not taking care of your spiritual business and letting things get backed up in your life. That's why confession is so important to cleansing yourself, cleansing your spirit, cleansing your body, Getting a complete and total focus on the Lord. I'll tell you this. This was really cool. Last night I was doing my journaling, and, and the Lord uh, prompted me, and and said uh, there was something from my past that I've never, uh, I've never dealt with. And and so, just reminded me of some of the things that these people had done to me as a child. And and said you've just glossed over it. You remember those things, but you glossed over it. You never dealt with it. You've never forgave them. And as a result, you continually bring them up so that you can rub their names through the mud. And you've also have deliberately refrained from having a relationship with them, and they're your family. So you need to forgive these people of what's happened. Now, you know every Saturday night I come in here and I pray, and I, and I anoint the seats with oil a lot of times, and I, and I just cleanse and purify this building and prepare it for Sunday morning. But when I came into the sanctuary last night, it was already done. It was already completed. I walked into this room and I felt the presence of God like I had never felt in this place of worship before. He was already here. And I know that it's because the blockage was removed. See, the thing is this, God's always here. But I couldn't sense it because the blockage was in me. And I believe it's very probable that there's blockage inside of you. I have a couple one-liners here. We're going to get into the passage of Scripture in just a second. The first one is this. Be afraid. Be very afraid. And embrace it. Fear is what keeps you from confessing. Fear is what keeps you from being open and honest and real with everyone else around you. But what we're going to find in this passage of Scripture is fear should be embraced because fear is the fertilizer of your faith. Fear is the fertilizer of your faith. If you've never experienced fear, your faith will never be forced to increase. God has to put you in an area of of discomfort and, and he has to scare you at times to get you to do certain things or to move a certain direction or to make a certain decision. I mean, who in their right mind would go to Sioux Falls, South Dakota to be a youth pastor? There's gotta be some element of fear there But that's exactly where God is leading them. And their faith will increase because of their obedience to what God is leading them to do. He will do the exact same for you. I wrote, where there is fear, there are opportunities for growth, opportunities to experience God in a new and exciting way. And I wrote that fear reminds us that we're not dead. Remind you that you're not dead. There, there are people, I know, they go through life every day. Everything is ordered. Everything's in sequence. Everything's controlled. And they never are stretched. They're never, you know, they're never discomforted. Uh, they're, they're never out of their comfort zone. They're just always, everything's routine. And in that routine, you become spiritually dead very quickly because you're not in a position where you're required to live by faith. In this story, Jesus sent the disciples ahead, and they're on the Sea of Galilee. He dismissed the crowd. He took care of business. He went up and he prayed himself up, which is another lesson that we all need to learn to avoid constipation. But Jesus prayed and he prayed. And it said, when evening came, he was there alone, but the boat was already a distance from the land, and it was buffeted by the waves. So he began, during the fourth hour, to walk out there onto the lake. And when the disciples saw him, they were terrified. Fear became very real to them. They could have ran. They could have, they could have paddled as fast as they can and get away from Jesus. They could have jumped out of the boat and swam to the shore. They could have done a number of things. They could have just yelled at him say, get away from us. We don't want you here. And he would have obeyed. But in their fear, Jesus was teaching them. He was increasing their faith. In fear, instead of running from Jesus, they ran to him. In fear, they invited him to come and to strengthen them and to give them peace in the midst of the storm around them. And Jesus obliged. And Peter, sitting in the boat, said to him, If that's you, Lord, then tell me to come to you onto the water, and I will do so. And then Jesus said one word, Come, come. And Peter despite his fear, got out of the boat and for a short time actually walked on water. He was not the son of God. He wasn't an angel. He wasn't a spirit. He wasn't some kind of a Houdini. He was a man that was led by faith against the fear that stood against him. Now, it was short-lived because once he started thinking about what was going on, Thinking will get us in a lot of trouble sometimes, you know. But when he started thinking and realizing what's going on around him, he began to sink and he cried out for help, Lord, save me. And the Lord said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? But what I want us to focus on here is the element of fear. Fear is going to present itself to you at any given moment, maybe even this morning. And when you are gripped with fear and fear is staring you right in the face, are you going to run from it? Are you going to shut down and say, absolutely not. I don't want any part of it. Or are you going to think to yourself, maybe this fear is presented by God and I'm going to fight it just like Jesus taught me. With his help, I'm going to fight this fear. And then you step into a new experience with God, an experience you've never experienced before, that you've never thought possible before, and then God does something amazing for you. He shows you a glimpse of himself. He hides you in the cleft of the rock, and he shows you just a little sliver of what awesomeness he is. And then you'll be able to go back into the boat and say, I did it. For one step or two steps, I did it for just a moment. I actually walked on water because I trusted my instincts, and I went with the God who called me to himself. Matthew 11:28 through30 says, "Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest." Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Sin has a unique way of overwhelming us to becoming a burden in our life that we just can't get away from. Sin has a way of making you absolutely miserable, not only dehydrated, but constipated. It can cause severe pain. It can cause a lot of discomfort. And, and, and sin will destroy you if you let it. I actually had a patient who was a church member in, in Kentucky who died because of dehydration and constipation. He got a perforated colon, and the toxins got into his body, And it actually killed him. Can spiritual constipation also kill you spiritually? Well, it can certainly mess up your life. It can certainly mess up your church attendance. And it can certainly make make a mess of your joy and your happiness. And so, once again, I feel the need to invite you to a time of confession. I uh, want to give you one disclaimer because this is something that Friday morning or Thursday morning, rather, the Lord really impressed upon me. We like to think that confession is about standing up and telling people what bad stuff you've done. that, That may be at times, but that's not what God's looking for. God wants to know why you did what you did. So it might be hard to stand up and say, look, I'm a recovering alcoholic. That's what I did. But it's a harder thing to answer, why were you a recovering alcoholic? It's one thing to say, you know what, I've been, I've been divorced seven times, I'm on my eighth marriage. Yeah, that might be difficult to admit to, but it's more imperative to, to answer the question, why did you get divorced so many times? So I, I think that that's what the Lord's looking for. He's, he's not really looking for your confession of what you did, but why you did it. You see, as a pastor, I get very um, irritable when I'm in meetings and people say, you're wrong, and now you know why. Because I have a history of people telling me I'm stupid, that I don't know anything. That, that puts me on edge a little bit. Especially when I know I know what it's going to take to change a church's disposition. I know. So is there anyone today that feels the need that maybe God might be for provoking them to confess? not so much focusing on what you did but on why you did it what have you learned from it how are you different today are there any takers in the presence of fear get out of the boat
1: soon as I got out of church, I kind of felt like uh, I should have got up right away. Um, Last week, I'll just kind of give a little bit of an input. Um, I'm sorry for my way that I talk about this, but in my previous church experience, I had a uh, pastor that I was in the midst of a relationship, and I felt that it was easier for me to go to one church and then Significant other, I went to another church. Kind of bounced back and forth. So I did have a pastor come up to me and said, you know, I explained my situation and what was said to me of, well, maybe you should go to another church or maybe you should go to that church. It bothered me very much. I chose not to go back to my church. No. I've gone several years where I didn't go anywhere. I knew that's where I wanted to be, but I didn't. I do think about it now and about why I did it. It's forgiveness. And what triggered it off was the same pastor I ran into a week ago. I was sitting there eating my dinner. Me and Dawn were actually enjoying ourselves. As soon as she rolled in, I was instantly mad, upset. Dawn greeted me. She's like, what would I do? wasn't you. I said, here I just had all these feelings come out told myself, I said, now I'm going to have to be fake. and guess what I did, I was fake. I was nice, I was cordial, but I still had that in my gut of saying, why would you say that, and bother me, so forgiveness is going to be one of mine, and uh, I said, we got through it, but after church Sunday, I thought about it all week, and I was very upset, but I know one thing that ever since, uh, We've been involved with the church here, and you know and we got to thank Hannah. Obviously, Hannah's not here today, but you know, but uh, you know we got to thank Hannah because she's the one that actually kind of pushed us and got us in the right direction as far as as a family. And I'm always thankful for that. But, um, and I can think I can speak for Dawn. I think we feel comfortable here. We have never been judged, you know, and we, we can't thank you enough for that. You know, that is why we choose to come here. You know? So.
0: We appreciate it, and we thank you very much. Thanks, man. Appreciate. It. Very good. Anybody else?
2: Um. When I came to this church though that uh, I was still almost uh, a rebellious teen. I'm 62 years old. I should never have felt that way, but uh, it was like 20 years ago. Um, I would come late and enjoy it, and I didn't have to talk to anyone. I would do all kinds of things to avoid what I knew I needed to do. I'd ra- been raised in a church. Um, my parents were Christian people. Um, they us and took us to church and did all the faithful things mm. for some reason i just couldn't get that i had that feeling inside of me that <coughs> it was rebellious i guess so i came out here thinking i'm not going to know anybody here and who did i see <coughs> <coughs> somebody that had done vulnerable thumber- Here to say that God changed my heart. He, he took, he, he, took me from this person that thought my parents were dumber than a box of rocks to the being the smartest people on the face of the earth, and having forgiven, forgiving, the nature now that I felt as though that God gave me. I, it just. Blessing that just brought me into bloom as far as who I was and who I always wanted to be. Um, I still have a lot of growth to do, but you guys have all taken me in and not made me <laughs> feel any that I have felt the stupidity and uh, felt as though that I wasn't smart enough to, to put in the input, but you guys have accepted me.
0: I know there are others, because I've heard.
3: (laughs) I don't know where to start beginning <laughs> you <don't have> time. <laughs> um, I've talked with Darren some about some of this I've had a call that all my life my calling has been my family and it's been the last several years God's wanted me to start sharing that and calling people to become better families. And I'm afraid. I've answered his call before when I became a scout leader, and that seemed to consume my life. It it, it took over, and, and it should have what God had called me to do but I felt like I had ignored my own family son and so now when he's got this calling on me, I'm afraid and add on to that I felt that I had to leave there because they were beginning to teach things that I didn't agree with. And I'm hurt. That was my family. Mm -hmm. And we started coming here, and I feel that I've closed myself off, that I haven't shared me that anybody here did, you've all been amazing, but after 40 years, there's still that hurt there, so I'm asking you to forgive me for not letting you in, and to help me share my
0: It's so hard. <laughs> Only takes two steps. You can do the other two steps another time. But you get out of the boat. Okay. And we love you. <laughs> love you, man.
2: I've been involved in a church for a long time also, and I didn't really feel the pain as much as we were just talking about, but I was never able to be myself because I could never ask for help. I came to this church, Teresa of course invited us, and I found out that this is a place for Sherry, and I feel safer about that because I've never really felt safe because as a child I was molested, and uh, I just found this out in October when I asked God to show me why I have so many things that I don't understand. And he did. Anyway. So now I know and it's okay and i am forgiven and I'm fully comfortable. Well, I'm glad I know. I'm just glad I know. And thank you for being open so that I felt I could be.
0: Thank you. Thank you. Talked to you right before church about. Um, I feel like it's important for us to come forward and say it as a family that uh, after Memorial Day we'll be gone because we are we are in our right mind to go to Sioux Falls, mm-hmm. South Dakota. Amen. I don't remember what missionary it was that said this, but it's an old-time missionary that said the the true measure of a church is not its seating capacity, but it's sending capacity. And so this is something we need to get used to, is that every once in a while we're going to have to send somebody out into the mission field to be youth pastors and pastors and missionaries. So it's a compliment to see God call someone out of our church to go and to do ministry elsewhere. So we send you with our prayers and our support. And you're always welcome to return. Except for Preston. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding, buddy. Anybody else?
4: told very many people about this, but I have confessed it, and I have recovered from, I'm trying to recover from this. Is, um, one of the things I was trying to get up here is a, a passage, but I won't, I won't, I, I play with it a little bit for me right now. Um, if you're familiar with Deuteronomy 22, verse 5, it talks about a woman should not wear men's clothes, and a man should not wear women's clothes. Um, I was guilty of this for a long time. And the reason why is I didn't feel like I was man enough to be alone with men. Um, I struggle with it. I have lost the of. I have the worst part of that um, from that. But, um, you know, uh, God is great and he constantly reminds me that, you know, I still got this. You know? And one of the first things I said, you know, are you okay with me having done this, you know, and that kind of thing. And, you know, I still struggle with it. It's a, it's an addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I have some counseling that I've gone through regarding this. Um, and I think I pulled pages one time on the altar here. And, um, I was one of the kids that, maybe I wasn't the stupid one, but I was the one that was picked on in high school. All through my even through high school. So I'm sure that's part of the cause. About this, and they had a they had a counselor in there that kind of walked me through it and helped me to get through it, and told me that it's idolatry, idolatry is what it is. You're worshiping something other than God, and you have to get through it, and you have to get get away from it. So, I wanted to confess that in front of everybody and tell you why I think that um, it's probably hindered my my service here. Or service anywhere else. So, um, thank you for allowing me to come. Something I wanted to do last week, but didn't want to get out of the chair. (laughs) I understand. Out of the cube. So.